Hello, my friends. Nick Labretti here for JR Cigars. And here at JR, we are passionate about everything. You want cigars? We're passionate about Romeo, Monte Cristo, Aging Room. You're passionate about cigar cutters, lighters? We have everything. We are passionate about life here at JR Cigars and only here at JR Cigars. Did we get it? I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure? I'm out here busting my hump. I got Mike guy in here. Get this freaking camera out of the way. At JR Cigars, we're passionate about everything. Get ready for Smoke Night Live with Massa Sensei. There we are, folks. Dojo, welcome to Smoke Night Live. This is episode 328 of Smoke Night Live. We're gonna be uh, we're gonna be talking with Half Wheel's Charlie Minato about Half Wheel and also about the uh, whole cigar marketing uh, hot button topic, which should be a ton of fun. Uh, Jordan, I'm looking forward to that. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how's the studio audience? We got uh, Matt and Scott over there. There we go. How you doing, boys? Looking colorful. Scott, grab that microphone. Oh, be, be prepared for crying out loud. Get right up on the breastbone. I'm literally cheersing the audience, <laughs> and you're just, you know, on me. Seriously. Doing good. Doing good. What Friday are you, night. What are you smoking? Oh, I am going with a tried and true for me, the Alec Bradley Coyol Petit Lancero. That's that's the, that's the best one. Love this cigar, Matt. What do you got going over there? I'm smoking the Punch Knuckle Buster Maduro. Oh, what do you think of that? I like it. Yeah, it's good. It's kind of uh, got some like little black tea kind of flavors yeah, and kind yeah. of going. It's kind it's of fun. Crazy. It's six bucks. What the heck? It's good. Scott, you brought over some good bourbon tonight. Um, you brought over a yeah, barrel so pick. I feel almost a little bit guilty with having this many bottles setting on the table. I mean, there's just everywhere I look, we've got. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit ridiculous. I, no, I forget no, to I be feel, ridiculous. You know, I feel like we have a problem, but now I'm looking at it thinking we have a solution. That's what I'm I, I forget that we have that shot on live on the show. Just in case you didn't think we drank whiskey. <laughs> Jordan, Here you go. Keep the table a little cleaner. Than yeah, that. we got to we got to clean that up. That's that is that's uh, that's it's low aggressive. rent. That's it's low aggressive. rent kind of stuff. <laughs> Jordan, what are you smoking? Well, right now I'm smoking. Our uh, Hoya Ninjaragua. Ah, but I, Ninjaragua. Uh, I can't get it to focus. Uh, I'm going to move on to a, a Warp Skyflower in a That was here. terrible focus. I want to do it. Warp Skyflower, right on the show. Wow. The, the, the original one. Nice. Uh, this, by the way, is literally my most hated day of the year. I'm ah, you can't even go on I'm, social media. I am I, I'm terrible at the whole April Fool's thing. I, I guess it's because... I think it's because I... I tend to want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they're yes. being honest with me. And so I, f I fall for literally every, every trick in you the book. You fall for the first five, and then you just the rest of the day. And then I just avoid it. Yeah. I, just, I, can't stand, I can't stand this day because it's just a constant, <laughs> you know, oh, we got you, yeah. you know, this, that, the other thing. But, uh, but luckily, hey, folks, if you're a big fan, if you're a big fan of uh, Jordan, the Wonder Kid producer over there, most of you are. Over there? Over there. Ah. He's over there? 
you guys are you guys are lucky because this this Monday we almost lost Jordan. <laughs> we almost lost him for good because we're, we're working we're working here at the studio. You know, everything's normal. I'm kind of doing my thing. I set up, doing my thing. Jordan, he's over there in his normal spot working away. And all of a sudden, he he literally just turns he turns like a light color of green and he kind of stands up and he walks out and I'm like, geez, what's, what's, what's up with that? And then later you walked back in. What, what happened? Well, I'm, I'm working and all of a sudden I'm like, man, I'm really tired. Like I, maybe I just didn't get enough sleep last night. And like all of a sudden I'm like actually like keeping myself from falling asleep at the desk. And I'm like, okay. So I go to stand up and like instantly like, Dizzy, like, okay, something, I've been drugged. <laughs> you, you got roofied. You know, when you've, you know when you've been roofied and somebody <laughs> steals your spleen? Like, mm. that was, you know, you've had that experience. Of course. It was like that. And instantly I knew I'm on, the, I had this sinus infection. I don't usually take, I don't have a prescription or anything, but th- this, at, at this week I do, and it's putting the pieces together. Oh, I bet I grabbed the medicine from this other drawer. You know, wives are always moving <laughs> medicine around. And so <laughs> I run in the house, open the drawer where I grab the medicine. I look at the bottle and I was like, it says, it says Jordan Gatormson. And then like, I look at it again and it says, no, it says Jacob Gatormson. That's my dog. And so, so I took my dogs. You literally took a horse tranquilizer. Took a horse tranquilizer, yeah. <laughs> you guys, it was amazing. <laughs> I had to call poison control. It was amazing. Uh, Jordan was like, he was like that kid that, you know, like the kid that you see that has like the dental work done, you know, and he doesn't know where he's at. Like, that's the way Jordan was for like four straight hours. They were like, oh, yeah, you're probably fine, but uh, it's going to you're, you're, it's gonna be like this for like eight hours. You're going to be fighting from, don't fall asleep because that could be dangerous. But, you, you know, it's going to be like this for eight hours. So I just, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I, I, I wrote on his face. I drew, like, <laughs> I, I drew, like, dirty things on his face with a Sharpie. It was amazing. It was incredible. Hey, guys, uh, here's the thing. If you are planning on coming to Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest uh, to join us at our local event and uh, our our party on the Thursday night uh, before Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest, we do a beer brewery tour on the Friday which is incredibly fun. We have another party at the Aloft Hotel on Friday night. So that's, boom, that's three things right there. And then Saturday is Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. If you're planning on doing that, I believe, Matt, am I right, tickets for Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest go on sale on? Monday. On Monday. Now, these are going to sell out fast, guys. So if you want to uh, partake in what I consider to be the greatest event of the year, um, you got to get that ticket on Monday. Don't delay. Snag your ticket. And then if you are coming, let me know, and we'll fill you in on how to come to the dojo party. We call that Docella, right, Jordan? Did I say it right? Yes, you've gotten it finally. Docella, the Docella Festival. That's the Thursday before Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. And then, like I said, we'll have a brewery tour on Friday. Another party Friday night. Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest is Saturday morning. Saturday night, I think it's Espinosa. Espinoza is hosting the pool party. Whoa. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Espinoza is doing the pool party after Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. So what is that, guys? One, two, three, four, five things in the span of, of three days. And it is an absolute amazing time. So please, if you want to 
partake in that, make sure to get your tickets because they do sell out pretty fast, right, Scotty? I mean, last year I think they sold out relatively quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're looking at the VIP or the executive VIP, you want to be on there right away when it opens Monday morning. You will miss them. They will sell out right. almost instantly. And you will regret And, it. guys, if, if you miss out, <clears throat> we can't help you. I mean, uh, we're not hosting Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest. So, um, like can, we did. You can still come to our parties. You can still come to our parties and stuff, of course, because we want all the dojo members there. All right, let's get this show uh, going. We've been trying to get uh, this guest on the show for a long time, and just scheduling wise, um, hasn't quite worked out. But we're super excited tonight to finally get a chance to chat <laughs> with none other than Half Wheels' Charlie Minato. Charlie, welcome to Smoke Night Live, my friend. Thank you for having me. That sounds like a uh, exhausting. Uh, way to start Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival. It is with you guys for two and a half days. <laughs> it, it is an exhaust, but you know what? It's it's so fun. I don't, Charlie. I, I don't. I, have you been to Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest? Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't been in I don't know four years maybe, but uh, yeah. yeah you you guys for, were doing uh, you guys were doing drinks one year, right? Yeah, one year we got suckered into making drinks. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I never went to the old festival at the old location but uh certainly went Good. to when they moved it over to the omni yeah, that yeah is... i heard the old location was special yeah yeah <laughs> if you wanted your car towed it was great if you uh, if you didn't want your car towed not so not so wonderful but it's an amazing event and uh we we'd love to have you uh charlie if you decide to go this year we'd love to have you show up at our party too as well uh it's it's a, it's a ton of fun all right let's get right into this charlie half wheel um the, the website, uh, let's face it, 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 as far as a cigar news website goes, it, it, this is the standard. I mean, you guys do an absolutely phenomenal job of literally covering every, any, po <laughs> thank you, Jordan, any possible news that there is. There isn't any other outlet that can, that literally hits like every single topic. I mean, whether it's a, uh, um, uh, uh, a county in North Dakota that's uh, considering some sort of tobacco legislation or whatever, all the way to, you know, the big topics and then cigar reviews and everything. You guys literally hit it all. Talk a little bit about how Half Wheel came to be and maybe almost like your mission. What is your mission statement uh, for this website? Because I got to say, like, you guys do an incredible job. It's amazing of how much news you guys process in a week. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the kind words. Um, I think the way that we look at the website now is it's the place where the industry goes on a daily basis, people that work in the industry, to figure out what's happening uh, you know, in and around the, the cigar industry. When we started, the mission statement was more, we want to have the cigar blog we want to read. But I, I think as time went on, you know, uh, things have changed. When we started, we weren't reviewing regular production cigars, for example. We were much more focused on limited editions and, and things like that. And, you know, we've realized that there's a much larger audience for reviewing cigars that aren't 100 boxes that were sent to some store in Missouri. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we want to be the place that if you work in the cigar industry, you go to. And if you have people that you know, whether you're a retailer and you have customers who are really, really into cigars, um, or whether you have, you know, people that, that you've just hired on that maybe don't have as much experience in the cigar industry. Um, we want to be that place, and, and we figure there are a handful of consumers, at least, that also probably are interested in sort of that level of, of detail. 
Now, Charlie, you get into, like I mentioned, you get into the sort of legislative aspect of cigar news. You get into the sort of manufacturer aspect of cigar news, the retailer side of cigar news, literally everything. Out of all these aspects, what's, what's one is, do you personally enjoy the most? You guys have a staff of a few guys, but what, what one aspect do you personally enjoy you know, dealing with the most? Um, I mean, I enjoy, I think, more the manufacturing side of things. The legislation stuff is obviously something where I think we've really made that a big priority, a much larger priority than I think anyone else in the, the cigar side. Um, and, and it certainly has been very successful from a traffic and, and business standpoint. And I think it's it's the most important work that we do because, uh, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff that we write about, if Patrick or I weren't covering it. I'm not sure that very many people in the cigar industry would know about it. Um, but I, you know, I enjoy learning about the, the manufacturing process, you know, seeing innovation, you know, it's, it's still a multi hundred year old business, but, uh, you know, you see things at, at factories, you see companies trying to get better, trying to think outside the box, um, when it comes to how they grow tobacco or put cigars together or packaging. Um, and, and I find that to be the, the most fascinating. Now, Charlie, like like you, um, I've been on a lot of uh, trips to visit cigar manufacturers. I, I know you've been on uh, many more than I have, but I've been on uh, several, and I know you've been on a lot of them. Um, talk a little bit about that. What was your? Can you think of like one or two uh, that you visited that you thought were like just the most interesting or the most maybe the most fun you had, like uh, getting to go to the DR, or Honduras, Nicaragua. Um, any of those uh, trips stick out in your mind as, as ones that you thought, man, this was just this was just like heaven? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, the, the trip-wise, um, one of my favorite trips, I know you guys have done um, trips to, to Camp Camacho as well. I was on one, it's sort of, the, so there was old Camp Camacho back when the Aroa still uh, owned Camacho, and then once Davidoff bought Camacho, they sort of rebranded it or redid it. They, they created a whole new facility. I was um, one of the guinea pigs for that. And uh, in addition to doing a lot of the Camp Camacho stuff that I think became part of the program, uh, they took us up to, uh, God, what was the name of that park? Something uh, Jaguar, Aguar, um, in uh, Tagoose. And we went like zip lining in the, the rainforest on top of this mountain. Um, and so that stands out as like, that's a super unique way to spend your Wednesday. Um, I was just at Fuente, uh, sort of went in before Pro Cigar and, and saw uh, William Cooper from Cigar Coop there. Um, that facility uh, is incredible. There are a handful of factories, I would say, that are unlike any other cigar factory in, in a number of different ways. I would put Fuente and Drew Estate in that sort of category where it's just a, a very, very different uh, looking facility and a very different operation than... 95% of the cigar factories I go to. Yeah, now we were we were sort of guinea pigs after you. I think we were we went to the uh, Camp Camacho maybe a few weeks after you went there, I remember. And that was the time, Jordan, when Jack almost fell off a cliff. Yes. And I, I think it, they, they were almost, uh, Charlie, they were almost to the point where they were thinking, maybe we shouldn't be, maybe <laughs> we shouldn't do this after all. Maybe this is a bad idea. And there was a couple times, Charlie, they, they didn't take us on the zip lining thing. So they, they said, let's try this other thing. We'll sort of like see how the zip lining compared with this other hike. And they took us to this hike. 
And I remember asking George, uh, I think I asked Jack that morning, I was like, what do you think this hike will be? What should I wear? Like, and he was like, ah, we'll probably be just walking down some dirt roads, kicking some dirt or whatever. So like I wore like a new shirt and I had just some tennis shoes. This was the most ridiculous hike I, I, I'd ever been on. I remember there was at least three, you know, unique times during that hike where I was like, how are they? How are they going to get my body out of this canyon? Like, and I, I, I was for sure I was just not going to make. Once it. Once we realized the guide had like, he had a machete and like a handgun. Was, there was like two guides. There was a dog and a guy with a machete and a handgun. And it was like, amazing. Oh, this is gonna be cool. It was. It was. That, I'm glad that you said that, uh, Charlie, because that also to me is one of my best. Uh, memories of touring different factories and stuff. It was so much fun. Now, Charlie, you guys, um, maybe uh, you're one of the very few uh, outlets. Uh, we're, we're also one where we do this full-time. You guys do this full-time as a job. Do you still get time, Charlie, to you know, relax with a cigar and still enjoy it? Or does the does the whole business of it sort of take away some of the fun aspect of just sitting down and having a cigar. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any, and I imagine it's probably the same for you guys that there's no way to escape the business end of it at this point. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it is what it is. There's a certain amount of knowledge. It's a little bit of like, you don't want to know how the sausage gets made, but also just like, this is what I do seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, so yeah, I can, uh, slowly get to a point where I can find a way to enjoy a cigar. And I certainly try to make time a, a couple nights a week to um, not be smoking review cigars. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, I, I feel like every time I'm on one of these podcasts, I, I mentioned this, but there's that old adage of like, you know, you never work a day in your life if you do what you love. Right. And that may be true, but there also is the like, if you would like to suck the enjoyment out of something that you really, really enjoy as a hobby, uh, turn it into a job and, and add a P&L <laughs> and accounting and, That's you know, dark. Uh, and, and more importantly, like just add the, and I'm sure you guys feel this, like when you're in the media content business in particular, like you have to keep producing content. There's not really a, a sustainable path where you can shut it off. It would not be good for you guys to be like, you know what, we're just not doing shows for the next three weeks. Um, and it wouldn't be good for us to be like, you know, we're just going to take the week off from reporting. Um, and so that makes it real tough. Uh, I think right. it may be easier if we were working in like a, if there was a dojo wheel packaging company, maybe we could enjoy cigars and, and shut it off a little bit easier. But in this side of things, particularly when you're reviewing cigars, I, I think it really gets tough. Right. Now, uh, before the show, you showed us what you were smoking. It's a beautiful looking cigar. Do you want to tell folks what, uh, what you fired up for tonight? Yeah, so I actually switched cigars because oh, I thought okay. we were doing a cigar coupe marathon. So I ended up grabbing <laughs> oh, that's uh, a uh, yeah, Tabernacle 142. Great I originally cigar. had a Lampert uh, A Limitada, and then I was told that this will be an hour-long activity and not a three-hour-long activity. So I adjusted <laughs> accordingly. Now, Charlie, uh, one of the things I really love about uh, reading your reviews, and this is actually one of the reasons that I almost will click on every single review that you guys do to check out is – you guys aren't afraid to, um, you know, uh, s s say it how it is, say how you really feel about a cigar. And in the process of doing that, you've, you've gotten some blowback over the years. Um, you know, people that are, you know, any, anytime you review a cigar where they have a, uh, a healthy fan base and you don't just give it pure glowing uh, thoughts, uh, you tend to get some blowback. 
Uh, do you relish that blowback? Do you like it? Does it affect you in any way? Do you, does it matter to you? Um, I certainly don't relish in it. Uh, I think that uh, I think that would be a bit distasteful. Um, but also, like, I, I don't I don't enjoy making people feel bad. Um, that that seems real shitty. Um, and it's not help. Like, it's not good for Half Wheel as an entity. Uh, or me personally when we upset people because that means that the conversations that we have with them going forward might be not as good. Um, we've had manufacturers who have you know, gotten to the level where they don't want to communicate with us anymore and that certainly affects the news side of things and makes our job a lot more difficult in that regard. Um, you know, we've had reviews cost us advertisers um, and I'm sure th there's some that I explicitly that have you know, told us um, and I'm sure there's others who um, have have not told us, but have made that decision because of it. Um, but uh, in terms of like, does it affect me personally? Not, not, I mean, you know, outside of having to have those awkward conversations, not really. It certainly doesn't affect how I go about reviewing cigars. And I don't really think it affects, you know, any of the, the team, whether it's Brooks or Patrick. Um, and part of that, honestly, is because of our review schedule. You know, I, I can't really remember what I reviewed last week. Um, it's just a sort of never ending finish one review, get another one, finish another, you know, get another review. So it's, uh, it's tough to kind of keep track of them. And, and, you know, there's no point trying to hold grudges. <laughs> and obviously that'd be pretty unethical on our end. Now, I want to, I want to defend you publicly a little bit here because uh, one of the, one of the criticisms in the past that you've have received is these sort of like bizarre uh, flavor comparisons in a, in a cigar. And we've actually had the same, criticism foisted upon us several times as well and i'll go ahead and say this and i'll let you respond but when you're reviewing cigars and you've been doing it for 10 years like we have and i i don't know if you guys i think you guys are at least that long maybe longer um you can't just say every cigar tastes like chocolate and every cigar tastes like leather um there comes a point when you have to try to be you know more specific and come up with Things that are, I mean, I think, uh, uh, Jordan, one of our reviews was, was the Oliva Milanio. We described it as tomato soup, having like a tomato soup flavor. And we caught a little bit of uh, crap for that. But, uh, Charlie, when you're reviewing the cigars, like, it would be extremely boring if you just had to stick with, you know, chocolate, cedar, leather on every cigar, right? You got to kind of dig in a little deeper than that. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just, you know, the way that we review cigars is very, very different than how people would smoke cigars, and including how I smoke cigars when I'm not reviewing them. Uh, you know, I walk into this room, there's no one else in the room, so there's no one else smoking it. I don't bring a glass of water, let alone a, you know, a bourbon or a gin and tonic. Um, and I try to be as focused as I can be on the cigar. And, you know, that, at the end of the day, a cigar is, you're tasting smoke it's always going to have some smoky characteristics to it. But obviously, I think most people would say a cigar smoke doesn't smell the same as a campfire smoke, which doesn't smell the same as an oil fire in your kitchen smoke. And what we're doing as reviewers is trying to smell the smoke because it's more smell than taste, and then go into our brains and think back of what this reminds us to. It's a sort of chemical reaction. And that's why, you know, sometimes I'll smoke a cigar and it will remind me more of a moment than it will of a flavor. 
And then it's like, okay, why does it remind me of this moment? What was there something in the air from that moment that it's reminding me of? Did I have something before at lunch or whatever? Or maybe it was just, you know, I, I was in a blue room and it, I thought of blueberries and that's why. And even the little cigar doesn't taste like blueberries. And then I needed to figure out more what's happening. But um, I think so much of that criticism is just an old school way of saying cigars only taste chocolatey, woody, peppery, creamy, etc. And then it's hilarious because you'll you'll see the same people talk about wine and they'll be like, oh, yeah, it's, it's got some, you know, uh, you know, white cheese flavors and tobacco, right? They'll throw, like, they'll throw tobacco yeah, into tobacco. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, why can't why can't we use those same like it's wine? It's going to have some combination of sugar, grapes uh, and some barrel characteristics. Like, why can't we use and, and, you know, soil, obviously? Why can't we use some of those same descriptors uh, for cigars? And I, I think that uh, you know, there are some people who are willing to do that and others that aren't. Uh, but then again, like, I think if you read most of the people who are doing this for a living, um, and not the individual reviewers, but just the publications, we're all kind of in the same boat. I mean, Cigar Ficiano's tasting notes are not any more pedestrian than, than ours or yours. Um, they're equally as out there. They're just not as many of them, and, and they tend to not be tomato soup. But they, they would be like uh, you know, <laughs> tomato and basil and whatever. Right. Uh, Charlie, um, before we go to into our, our main topic tonight, which we're going to talk uh, more about this whole cigar marketing aspect and um, the article that you wrote, which I thought was really, really good. Before we get there, last week I was at uh, La Zona Palooza. I, I've seen Patrick uh, down there. I think it was the last time they had one live before they had the, the whole COVID break or whatever. Uh, the whole idea of these um, brand... Uh, specific co- consumer events. You know, you got Ristafari, you've got Weasel Fest, uh, Drew Estate does the Barn Smokers, obviously La Zona Palooza, which I just mentioned. Um, what, in general, what do you think of those? And do you see this as maybe uh, something that's more and more brands are going to be doing, you know, as we move forward? Yeah, I, I think that, that there are going to be more of them. And I, I think they're good. I, I think that. Um you know, everyone in the cigar industry loves to, to talk about the PCA trade show and TPE and, you know, the issues that, uh, that the trade shows are, you know, seem to be facing. Um, and I think that there's, there's a wall that the, or ceiling that all these trade shows are up against, which is that they've been geared towards manufacturers come and they sell products. And the justification for going them is based off of sales. And the reality is they're selling to basically the same customers they see you know, seven days a week. Um, there's just not that many new customers that show up to trade shows for these companies to capture. And so I think you're going to see as companies, you know, reevaluate their, their trade show spending and also as we sort of, you know, get into the new living with COVID world, um, I, I think companies are going to take a, a real hard look at, or they should, of here's what we were doing before and, and let's review whether or not that's effective. And I think that these, you know, single brand focused events. Um, I think there's probably some, some great upside to them. I mean, I, I don't think that people like Espinoza would be continuing to do them if they were a complete waste of time and money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, it's for sure something. I don't know if every brand can pull it off because even some popular brands don't really have like a following, but the brands that do have a following, I, I do see this as, as maybe growing. I can think of four or five in my head right now that would probably work uh, really well. But uh, it does seem like something that maybe uh, would, will uh, 
there'll be you will see more and more of that in the future because brands are able now to uh, really really communicate good with just you know their fan base and and the guys that they do. All right, we're gonna talk uh, after the break uh, a whole bunch more. Uh, with Charlie Minato from Half Wheel. Folks, this show is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. That's the line that always screws me up, Jordan. That's a hard line to say. Uh, uh, enjoy the best prices on your favorite brands like Romeo and Julieta. Oh, oh I, that one gets that, you too. Oh, that one really screwed me up. Monte Cristo, Crown Heads. That was a tongue twister there. My tongue, <laughs> as I said that, my tongue literally did a 360 in my mouth. It went, whoop. You're um, lucky I don't grade these things like I grade Randy's. I know. Crown Heads, Davidoff, and many more. Make sure to try one of their exclusive lines, such as the Drew Estate Nightshade or their limited edition Alec and Bradley Wagyu. I normally screw that one up too. Celebrate 50 years of excellence, over 50 years now. Uh, and stock up on your favorite cigars today at JR Cigars. All right, we are chatting with Charlie Monado, Half Wheel. This is episode 328, Jordan. That's good. Smoke Night Live. That's a good um, number. All right, here we go. Uh, March 1st, Charlie, you uh, uh, published an article which was called The uh, uh, Ten Thoughts Please Stop Marketing Cigars to Children. And ever since. Then now I don't know. Did you publish yours before the PCA did their article? Which which one came first? No, the PCA's was at the beginning of February. Okay, so they, they did theirs, and theirs was a little bit more nondescript. They didn't mention any brand specifically, I don't think. Um, and then you came up with your article, which I thought was extremely well written. Whether you agree with it or not, um, with your take or not, the article was super thought provoking. Um, talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit, just real quick, in general, the um, reception you got to that article, and then we'll dive into it. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two things that I would like to, to say at the beginning of this. And, and part of that article's complications was not making it 10,000 words. So there was a lot of points in there, and they're kind of all weighted and given more or less equal amounts of, of space and words. But two things to remember, just sort of as we dive deep into this. The first is that it does not matter what you think. It, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Eric thinks. It, it matters what FDA thinks. And, and that's the unfortunate world that we live in. And I think so many of the responses, particularly the ones that weren't in agreement, were sitting there going, oh, I don't think this is marketing to children, or uh, I don't know how anyone could construe this as marketing to children, or we don't sell cigars to children. They could never get these cigars, blah, 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 blah. It's completely irrelevant. The, the, the topic at hand is whether or not FDA thinks these products would be considered marketing to children or attempts at marketing to children, and then what the consequences to FDA's presumed conclusion that, that they would have issue with these. The second thing that I'll say is that there was just a ton of whataboutism in response to this, and that's just not a, a great rhetorical argument. It, it's never a good defense. It's like watching a child. You know, if the child gets in trouble for, you know, swearing at school and their parents are, you know, asking them and, and the child's like, well, I don't understand. Like, you know, Tommy said the same word and Tommy didn't get in trouble. You know, the parent's going to be like, that, that has no bearing on you saying the F word. Like, who cares that Tommy said the F word and didn't get in trouble? You said it, you're in trouble. Um, and there was a lot of that to it. But obviously, uh, you know, the, the point of the article is there are, even in 2022, there are a very small number of companies and products that seem 
very clearly over the line of what would be considered marketing to children. And the one that, that sort of caused me to write that article was I got a press release that weekend about the weekend prior about uh, a new cigar from Joss McCruel called um, Munchies Rocky Road. Um, and it had a picture of Rocky Road ice cream, like an actual picture, not a cartoon illustration of Rocky Road ice cream on the packaging. It's a flavored cigar. There are a number of other questions that can be had about, you know, sort of FDA concerns with that. But it was just like, this is, this isn't even close to the line. This is so far over the line of what FDA um, would deem to be problematic. And, and the part that was, you know, troubling, uniquely troubling about that one was Restay from Jocelyn Cruel is not a, a neophyte when it comes to FDA. He, he understands FDA better than bar industry does, at least in my conversations with him. You know, I would put him in a, a pretty, you know, upper echelon category of someone that's read FDA's materials, that's, you know, uh, certainly seems to, to, to have a, a decent level of knowledge. And it also didn't help that I was just leaving the Dominican Republic and had just spent a week in cigar factories. And I kept thinking to myself, like, man, like, people like Restay, and I don't, I don't have any ill will towards Restay, and, and I've liked some of his cigars, and, you know, I've, I've always sort of gotten along with Restay, but it just seemed like Restay was gambling with other people's money and, and not telling them about it. Because if this goes poorly, which I think if FDA finds out about these products, it will, it's not just Restay that's going to get in trouble. The entire cigar industry is going to have to deal with the resources that will be required to to push back on this with FDA, but also whatever new restrictions could potentially come from this, they would apply to presumably the entire industry and not just Jocelyn Cruel and whoever else is, you know, in FDA's crosshairs that day of the week. Yeah, I think the, um, Charlie, I think that one of the reasons that this argument is a difficult argument to frame for a lot of people is there's sort of two arguments that are running parallel to one another. You have this idealistic argument, which is, uh, the freedom of expression, freedom of speech. This is the way it should be. We should be able to do these things because we're free. And then you have the more sort of pragmatic argument, well, that is, well, okay, we actually do have an FDA and they really are um, cracking down on us. And so strategically, um, maybe, maybe idealistically, you should be able to do this, but strategically, should we be able to do this? I think that's where the argument is tricky. I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding the sort of the pragmatic side of the argument. Yeah, I was actually a bit surprised that there wasn't as much of like, this is the last stand against FDA. I thought that was going to be a larger part of the rebuttals. But like, you know, there's a, a women's Final Four game going on on the television uh, behind my camera right now or about to start. And like, oh, I would compare this to like, if you play basketball and you are defending and you choose to be around the restricted area and you know that you routinely are, you know, have one foot in the restricted area and your just hope is that you're going to get that foot out and not get called for that foul, you know, every time it happens. Like that's a choice that you can make, but you got to understand if you have a foot in the restricted area as a defender and you're going to try to play a full basketball game, you're probably going to keep getting called for that foul. Sometimes it may not be an actual foul, but you put yourself in that position where you're forcing someone to make judgment calls and you are in an area where they have said, there's a reason why there's that, that half circle U-shaped thing on the basketball court. Like it is a defined area of there's special attention paid 
to this particular part of the basketball court. That is the same thing when it comes to marketing to children. FDA has been clear, not just with cigars, but with all sorts of products, that when they see things that are close to marketing to children, when they see things that are advertising you know, flavors and using cartoon imagery and things that they think children might be attracted to, they are going to have special scrutiny towards it. And um, I think that, uh, I think we just have to be responsible. And that's part of the other part of this that's just so frustrating is everything that, you know, I'm sure you guys hear it as well. This is an adult industry. This is an industry that only sells towards adults. It's responsible, blah, 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 blah. And that's the argument the industry is trying to make. It can't make that argument in a world where there's Rocky Road cigars or cigars with Sesame Street characters on the bands or cigars that are packaged to look like chocolate bars. It just can't. It's not going to work. Now, Charlie, that's uh, that brings up the point that in your article, you did specifically sort of bring up three products. Um, obviously, Risty's product. Um, it, you just mentioned the uh, United Cigars JRE uh, Cigar Bar and then uh, Pravada's sort of Cookie Monster uh, one. Now, is there a distinction to be made? Now, we had Risty on the show a couple weeks ago, and it was a it was a really interesting um, interview. Uh, if you get a chance, go back and, and watch that. Risty and I had a, a long discussion about this, but the distinction could be made. I mean, we have there there are a lot of products, right? I'll I'll mention a few of them. You have uh, Amendola Cannoli. You have Sober Mesa Brulee. You have. Uh, Diesel Sunday gravy. You even have my our own product, sarsaparilla, but none of those products, um, when you look at them, actually look like that product. It's just the name of them. Had Risty done, you know, the uh, Munchies Rocky Road in a cedar box with the cigars are just in a cedar box and it's just named that. Do you think that that would have changed the way you perceive that product? Yeah, I probably don't write the editorial. Um, I mean, part of the editorial was, part of the reason for writing it was that I saw the, the statement that the PCA put out that was just not an effective way to communicate the problem. Um, and, you know, honestly, as someone that, that writes about cigars almost every day of the year, I looked at the PCA statement and was like, this is confusing at best. Like, and, you know, there's a better way to do it. But then time went on and, sort of put that away to the side. And then I was sitting on a plane about to fly back to Dallas and got the press release from, from Jocelyn Krul and went, what on earth are we doing? Um, and how are we in 2022 facing the issues that we're facing? And, and after the, the fights that we've been having with FTA, and some of them have gone the cigar industry's way and some of them have not, how are we at a point where a company feels comfortable putting a cigar like this out? It just seemed so far past the line. And, um, and I, I think part of, I'm not sure if Riste or you asked Riste or if you talked about it, but I, I would have a hard time believing that Riste wasn't trying to cause controversy, at least in some part. He, do, I, he I does seem, I mean, let's face it, Riste, he likes to push the boundaries. I think that isn't a secret. And I think he would even be the first to admit that, that he does like to push those buttons, right? That's sort of yeah, his I, thing. And I want to be clear, I don't think that was his sole intent, but I have a hard time believing that that wasn't any part of it. Right. Now, on the show, um, I, I tried to, uh, Jordan, I tried to uh, uh, boil down, if you will, uh, boil down Risty's sort of main defenses. 
And I'm going to throw these at you. There's four of them. I'll throw them at you, Charlie, and you can um, respond to each one in, in your own way. Yeah. All right, so Risty's arguments as I as the show went on, and it was, and again, I, I I welcome you guys to go check that out to see how Risty actually responded. Uh, that would be the only fair way to hear his his words and stuff. So I'm going to do my best to summarize it, and I apologize to Risty if I, I get any of these wrong. But here are the four his four main arguments in defense of his product, and I'll let you respond to these. The first one was um, it's not against it, it's not illegal or it's not against any current rule. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely, well, I have some questions about whether or not that product's legal to begin with because it's a flavored product, which would mean that, that it would have either needed to have been marketed prior to August day 2016 or it would need FDA approval, which it did not get uh, pre-market approval before he could sell it. But let's assume that that's not a relevant concern. I agree with Thriste that it's perfectly legal to put, uh, you know, a picture of Rocky Road ice cream on your cigars or on your packaging of your cigars. My point is that I've been in the courtroom when the attorney for the cigar industry in the lawsuit against FDA has argued that it argued to a point where the judge was then repeating those points to the prosecutor or the attorneys from the Department of Justice who are representing FDA, who have said these are the packaging is, you know, vintage, pays artwork, pays homage to Cuba and their heritage, and it doesn't have anything that would be something that children would find attractive. It's, it's not like there's, you know, big pictures of cherries and, you know, other uh, sweet foods and things like that on there. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with it. But the other problem here is that my point is just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not going to cause trouble. Um, Th that's sort of where strategy comes into play, right? Well, yeah, and I think for somebody like you guys in particular, like, Restay doing what he's doing is going to uniquely, like, it's going to affect, in my belief, everyone at some point, because I think that FDA will respond particularly negatively to this. But the part where it's going to be really frustrating is for people like you guys who do creative packaging that, you know, does employ some things that if you went three steps further would get to that line of marketing to children, you know, where you guys have obviously a lot of the, the, you know, karate and, and ninja imagery on your stuff. Like, that stuff's fine right now. And it's fine in a world where FDA is not looking at it in, you know, they're not putting everything in one big category of here's everyone that's using cartoon characters on their cigars. Um, but it's a real problem when they, they put everything together and say, just no more cartoon characters. And it would not surprise me if that is a response that FDA takes inevitably. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen that in other, other countries, of course. Um, uh, Risty's next uh, two points are sort of <clears throat> similar, so I'll, I'll ask them together. I'll put them together. Uh, one was, hey, other people do it. So that, that kind of gets back to your argument that you uh, talked about earlier. And I'm doing it better. I, I did a better version uh, than other people. So how do, you, how do you respond to those two objections? Yeah, the whataboutism, you know, what about Drew Estate? What about Rocky? What about Ezra Zion? What about Caldwell? Th that's, not, that's not a defense of Restay's product. That's a defense of, you know, Restay's decision-making, I suppose. But it, it, that argument, once again, it's all about what FDA thinks. If, if we go into FDA's office in Silver Springs, Maryland, and they go, well, what about Rocky Road? 
you know, how is this not marketing to children? I don't know what acid has to do with the defense of that. Like, I have no understanding. Obviously, Riese's argument probably would be, well, acid's legal, so why isn't this legal? And, and once again, that's, a, I think, more in that first argument. Um, to the third point, um, yeah, I mean, like, that's just not, once again, like, I, I, that's not a defense of any of this. Like, yeah, I, and I his, his final one, and I'll, I'll give Risty credit on his final one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend Risty on this one a little bit because I, I sort of believe that his tongue was in his cheek and his eye was winking just a little bit. Um, but his, his final defense, or his, uh, the fourth one was, I'm going to make a lot of money on this. I mean, I know that's kind of a funny, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, come on, you got to get, it's, it's a funny response, but I mean, obviously that one is, I don't know how you respond to that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny until you guys can't sell cigars with ninjas on them anymore, right? Like then it's really not funny. And that, that's part of what set me off in the, the beginning was like, it would be one thing if I felt like FDA was only going to punish the companies that actually did this. That's just not how this is going to go. They are going to, you know, if they do something, it's going to be a universal set of rules that all companies are asked to follow. And that's going to be shitty for everyone. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I would hope that like, we'll see what happens with the Jossman Cool munchies, right? But the rest of these products, from what I can tell, are not like big money makers. They, they seem to be a lot of limited edition, small production stuff. And that's what makes this even more infuriating is it's like, this isn't, we're not talking about defending 5% of the industry's sales. We're talking about defending probably not even 5% of one of these companies' sales. And it would just be a lot easier if the small minority of actors that engage in this behavior just stopped doing it. For everyone's right. sake. Charlie, what do you think about, uh, I got a comment here uh, from the audience. William Payment says, with Halffield writing this, they gave the ammunition to the FDA. If they weren't on the radar before, the, before uh, for FDA, Halffield put them on it now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, um, I, I certainly think that FDA is probably aware of, of some of these, maybe not all of them, but um, I don't know. I mean, that, that's not, I don't, I don't think that's a good reason to not write the article. If I felt like it was the case that FDA was completely unaware of this stuff, then maybe I take a different approach, but uh, I don't think it's the case at this point. Now, um, this kind of goes along with the last, uh, what we've been talking about. Um, in the comments, by the way, it's worth not only reading uh, Charlie's article, but it's also worth reading the comments. It's a very lively comment section at the, at the bottom of the article. And uh, Brian from uh, Provada Cigar Club said, you know, one of his defenses was, hey, I'm a, I'm a private, we, we just sell privately to our, our members. We don't sell Cookie Monster to, you know, it's not in a, it's not in a convenience store or a gas station. And then Risty kind of made a similar comment on his Facebook post, I think it was yesterday or the day before. He said something like, uh, look for it in the children's section of your tobacco lounge. Uh, sarcastically, obviously, because there's not a children's section in a tobacco lounge. But how do you respond to um, to that objection? Uh, the fact that a uh, Brian is is he's selling it privately, and Risty's sort of similar comment that a you'll find it in the children's section in your in your tobacco lounge. Yeah, I mean, I don't think those two things are remotely related to one another, and my responses to them are probably very different. The, the response to Brian is, you know. The, the thing I said at the top. It's not about what you think, not about what I think. It's, it's also not about actually selling cigars to children. 
It's about whether or not if FDA were to see this product, whether they would think that it is part of what they consider to be marketing to children. Um, and the threshold, as far as I can tell, is not does a five-year-old go and actually try to buy the cigar, pick the cigar up. That, that just doesn't appear to be how FDA is going to um, adjudicate this matter. So, you know, I go back to if you were sitting in the office with FDA and this product is in front of you and FDA says, hey, how is this not marketing to children? What do you say? And I just don't know what you do in, you know, some of these examples that we've given. I, I in one of the things that I, I don't know if Brian explicitly made it in the comment section or elsewhere, but, you know, it, certainly somebody did, which was that Pravada has changed some of their bands, uh, particularly the Sesame Street ones. The problem, though, is that they've also done other products, including one that looks like it was some sort of Guardians of the Galaxy, gotta catch them all type situation um, in 2022. So I'm not sure they've entirely, you know, gotten the message about where the line is or, or agreed to, to say, we understand what we've done. And we understand that there might be some negative consequences to it, and therefore we will avoid any risk of, of being close to that. To the, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, finish. To Reese's point, that A seems uh, to contradict his, I'm going to make lots of money off of this point, if it's like, you know, I'm not going to sell that many of them. I'd also well, point wait, out I think that his, I think his point, though, I think his point is, you know, at a uh, licensed tobacconist, they're, they don't sell to children. They can't sell to children already. Therefore, you know, how could this be considered a children? I think that's the point he was making, whether that's yeah, I mean, legitimate that, or not. I, that's, you know. part of the, that's part of the first one. I think what I find Reese's, I mean, I, I didn't see that post. I saw something where he'd put Hershey bars in front of the- Right, that was the same post, yeah. The product, okay, same post. Uh, maybe I just didn't read the, was that in there? I, I, yeah, the post that I saw was the Hershey bar and it was like, uh, this product's not endorsed by Hershey. Yeah, and at the, uh, at the very end, it said, uh, look for these in the kids' section of your local tobacconist. Yeah, I mean, that's just incredibly stupid. Because once again, if FDA sees this, they're going to be like, not only did you put ice cream on your cigars, now you're putting it next to Hershey bars, putting it on your company's social media. And that, or maybe it was Restate Social Media, in, in absolute fairness. Uh, like, if the argument is about marketing to children, you can't be like, well, obviously, adults know that that there is no, there's not a children's section in the cigar shop. Like if the argument is children might construe this to be ice cream, this isn't helpful at all. It, it only is going to further FDA's issue with it. Uh, from your article, uh, Charlie. Uh, uh, let me just yeah, uh, no, say go ahead. one thing. I mean, a general cigar company today, I don't know if it's been taken down yet, put out incredibly stupid tweet in celebration of your favorite holiday, April Fool's. Um, <laughs> Thank they you. They did like uh, jelly bean flavored punch cigars. Mm. It was like on their Instagram account. And like, obviously, I think that the, the general cigar people would probably, or whoever came up with that would be like, oh yeah, it was obviously just April Fool's and people should know better. But like, that's the same problem. It's that we're talking about marketing to children. Like inherently the adults will be able to interpret this post with some common sense goes out the window when the whole debate is over whether or not children are going to find this to be attractive to them. Well, and I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, it's not unlikely that children read and see that post, but I, I get your point that it could be used as ammunition uh, one way or another. Well, I think FDA's argument would be this looks like we're trying to right. 
have your cigars look attractive to children. Even if that's, even if you're claiming sarcasm and, and like, there is not a, you know, this isn't the same thing with like free speech and, um, you know, parody law, right? Like there, there's a parody provision that, you know, when you're dealing with trademarks that there's an inherent, not wiggle room, but there's a little bit of latitude that you're given. Yeah, uh, don't ask Coca-Cola about that. <laughs> They, they yeah. weren't too happy about Dojo Chico. I can tell you that right yeah. now. Uh, Charlie, yeah, and Monster, uh, Monster real, Energy, I'm sure. Uh, we, we only tried one April Fool's Day joke in the history of the dojo. And that was, Jordan, you remember the, the uh, we came out with this article about... Uh, uh, the glass top uh, convenience store cigars? Yeah, it was, it was fake convenience store cigars. And people did not get that joke. That's why I hate April Fools. <laughs> it was like people didn't get the joke. It was an obvious like, uh, look out for these uh, Swisher sweets that are like a, you know certain you know the, the band looks a little bit off. You know like you know, we we had like band, we had like different bands, and this is how you tell a fake convenience store cigar. Anyways, that's why I hate. I just hate <laughs> April Fools. Not only am I terrible, that's why. I'm not only am I terrible at doing April Fools' Day jokes. I I'm completely gullible, Charlie, and I get I, I fall for every single one. I'm I'm incredibly stupid, Charlie. From your article. Um, I'm going to quote this uh, segment that you wrote. Uh, For the record, the PCA should not only prohibit companies from exhibiting products that could be marketed to children. I don't think it should should have those companies at the trade show at all. Now, my question to you based on that comment is, don't you think that that could provide a, a, a really weird slippery slope? I mean, do we really want the guys at the PCA determining which cigars uh, cross this threshold. Cause I could see in a couple of years, maybe they think, Oh, sarsaparilla, uh, w- w- you know, that shouldn't be there either. Uh, cannoli, that shouldn't be there either. Brulee, that shouldn't be there either. Now we're throwing this into the hands of the, the board members of the PCA as to what they believe is over the line. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think we should have that scenario exist, which is, I think I explained it later on. I understand we, we have to have the, the content for the show. But, you know, my point was, I'm not sure they're really equipped to it. It's, it would be problematic for them from a PR perspective. But also, like, if these companies just stopped doing this, then it, it removes, you know, obviously I understand the slippery slope and, and where do they draw the line. But I, I think that the, the line about, like, what's clearly crossed it is... A pretty limited number of examples, um, and uh, yeah, I I think it's really tough to parse the PCA's stance that these are, you know, we represent retailers and manufacturers who are responsible tobacconists and responsible tobacco companies who don't market their products to children. They sell their cigars in you know, upscale lounge environments to adults. They're expensive products. They're not products that are used to roll blunts with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then simultaneously have companies that are clearly over the line at their trade show, particularly when you consider, and I don't agree with this stance for the record, but the PCA back when it was called the IPSBR made a decision, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, where they decided to stop letting in e-cigarette companies to their trade show because they said that they believed once again, I, I think this is incorrect, but they believed that FDA would look at the e-cigarette companies at the, the IPCBR trade show and get the opinion that all these products are the same. And their justification for 
kicking them in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue that those right. companies provided in booth sales out of the trade show was in the name of responsible marketing and not having our products confused with products that, that are in the crosshairs of uh, FDA. Yeah, in fact, uh, me and Jordan have made that point so many times that um, that really did seem to be a turning point in the show from the days of the grandeur of the IPCPR to to what you know what it was has sort of become in the last couple of years. Uh, it would be nice to have the, those hookah companies and those e-cigarette people back, whether you like them or not. It, it, it created a much real nice stuff that. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, in exactly. Free revenue. Absolutely, and and Jordan has made this this point um, before, and I'll see how you respond to it. There's also a thin line between trying so hard to appease the FDA that we end up with the same problem. In other words, Jordan, how how do you say it? Do you say? Uh, <laughs> well, my point was sort of like uh, it, we don't want to be like Canada where we have to everything's in a brown paper box so let's make everything in a brown paper box like in, in other words there's a thin line between giving away intentionally the whole fight because you don't want to give away the whole fight in a legal battle yeah i mean i think it's just a difference of approach from a strategic standpoint i, I look at it and say there are you know let's call it 250 companies selling cigars at like a, a semi-national level in the u.s on the the manufacturer side or on the brand side very few of them have products that would be at the same level or really even close to it to the ones that, that we've discussed and the ones that are mentioned in that article so if very few of the companies are participating in this behavior and if the behavior so the examples of these products like obviously most of Justin Cool's portfolio which also includes CBD infused cigars THC infused cigars and a cigar called fuck the FDA but most of the portfolio is not things that FDA would take issue with. Wouldn't really bat an eye, most likely. I think the same thing goes for Pravada, and certainly if you look at United Cigar Company or JRE, it's, it's a similar story there as well. And so I look at it and say, let's just not go close to the, you know, as the example I used earlier, like let's not go close, or let's not have a foot in the restricted area. Let's have both feet outside of it and stand our ground there, as opposed to trying to, you know, get into a situation with a hornet's nest over a minuscule percentage of, you know, the hundreds of millions of cigars that get imported into the U.S. each year. Right. Um, now, by the way... And I also think that there's a, there's a resource aspect here that's also something that, that I consider, okay. which is that we've... The, the cigar industry spent all this time arguing this point that cigars are, you know, sold only to adults. They're $10-plus per cigar. They're sold in lounges. People smoke, you know, maybe a cigar a, a day at most, et cetera, et cetera. All those things you've heard about how kids don't smoke them, they can't be used for blunts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These products run counter to that argument. And whether or not you agree with them running counter, once again, in the eyes of FDA, it, they clearly run counter to, to the argument the cigar industry has been trying to sell. It will cost an insane amount of time and, and money to spend lobbying FDA and Congress and other people that make these decisions for the cigar industry, that these are just isolated instances that we've weeded out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why, why continue to engage in this behavior knowing that you're running a pretty flagrant risk 
and also acknowledging that that to get back to if we're here right now and we get knocked down to here getting back here is not just as simple as taking a step forward it's going to cost money and time and and there's no guarantee you even get there and so why risk it like i agree that like we shouldn't if the question is about packaging we should you know defend the, spend the money to get warning labels like the cigar industry did off of cigar boxes but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about a minuscule number of these products now charlie i can't believe we've blazed through an hour already but i have two get I, that a back out i have two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i have two i have two final questions for you just so you know so yeah. you know you, you kind of like the this is the two minute warning basically but um got it so my first one is what what do we do where do we go from here in your opinion um how does the cigar industry deal with this issue in from your perspective what do you think should be done I don't honestly know. Um, I think part of the part that that's really tough is the responses from, you know, what I would consider to be the companies that are engaging this behavior. Um, the ones that I've seen have not been great. Um, obviously, Reese's, you know, picture a couple days ago was just, uh, you know, this is not not good. Um, and I don't really know for what. Like I, I don't. I mean, I get the you know screw half wheel, we're going to be, you know, controversial for the sake of being controversial. I get that. But like, what, what did that accomplish in terms of sales and growing your company? Um, obviously, the responses from Pravada, I, I didn't watch more than a couple minutes of two of the videos. I don't know if there were more. The responses from Pravada and their fans, uh, a lot of their fans, or at least some of them have not been great. Um, in terms of like, it, it would be one thing if we were having a conversation about what FDA would say about these products. But we haven't even gotten to that level. We're still fighting about whether or not this is even, like, how are we defining the parameters of the argument? Um, and uh, it just seemed like it was way too defensive. So I don't really have a great suggestion, but I, I do think that, you know, if the PCA is gonna continue to make the argument that these are adults-only products sold in lounges, responsible retailers, et cetera, I don't really know how they would then allow these companies into their trade show, but I don't think that the PCA banning them from the trade show is going to do much of anything in terms of fixing it, to be quite honest. It's probably just going to make things worse. Somewhat like the editorial did, where it just seemed to involve these people more. <laughs> well, I, I, I loved the editorial. It was, it was fantastic. Everybody should go read it. Um, if you haven't already, it's, it's extremely well written and interesting. All right, Charlie, you are a, uh, you're the doctor, right? You're, you're the doctor. You're at the family practice. And the cigar industry is the patient. And the cigar industry walks into your office and you examine the patient uh, fully. What is what Whoa, what's, what state easy. is the cigar industry in? What's the prognostication as the doctor? How do you feel just overall in general? We've imported uh, record numbers of cigars from uh, various countries. Uh, seems like there's a like a, a cigar boom going on. Yet we have these other issues that are also happening at the same time, which we've discussed in great detail. Excuse me on the show. Sort of what's your prognostication of the cigar? What's the health of the cigar industry as we speak tonight in the uh, first day of April of 2022? Uh, yeah, this is a, that's a hell of a question. Um, I would say, and maybe just due to my own sort of personal coming to grips with my 30s, but um, <laughs> I would say the cigar industry is probably like 24, 25 years old. Like they, you know, they graduated college, they got their degree, <laughs> but like they're, you know, they 
because like, look, the the sales for the last the better part of the last two years have been, you know, off the charts literally, um, and, and obviously have been you know a big boom and boon for uh, the people in, that work in the cigar industry and, and own retailers or manufacturers or everything else. Um, but I think that they're about to experience that you know, moment when you're 25, 26 years old and you wake up and you're like, man, I did not have that much to drink last night. I feel like death has come upon me. Um, and like, I'm getting old. And, um, you know, there's that moment. I didn't treat it as well as I should have when I was 25. Like, cause you can make that choice and be like, okay, I realize now I can't on a Tuesday night drink eight, you know, beers, have late night Taco Bell and then attempt to go to work and it just be fine like it was in college um, the next day. So like maybe I should cut back a little bit. Maybe I should start running or, you know, get into better shape. Maybe a couple salads here and there, right? Uh, I think we're in that position where like the cigar industry could really, you know, it could go very well for it in the, in the coming years where, you know, if it makes responsible choices, not just with the marketing, but, you know, I think more pressing with import numbers, production, you know, managing price points, things like that, there could be a lot of good. But it could also continue to pretend like I was when I was 25 years old, that I'm still 22 years old and there's just no consequences to Tuesday night drinking. And um, and then you could wake up and, and just feel really terrible. <laughs> what if like, the man. cigar industry <laughs> takes dog medication on accident? <laughs> then and you then like, <laughs> Jordan, I think you're super messed yeah. up. I think you're still... You're still feeling the effects no, of that. Be, yeah, we could be doing that. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of where it's at. I think, it, I think it's very much at a, a crossroads in terms of, uh, particularly with the, the supply chain and inventory levels, about the decisions that are made. Um, and I think the companies that said at the beginning of the year, at the end of last year, that looked at the numbers and said, you know what, we've had really good two years, all things, particularly all things considered with COVID, um, but I don't think it's going to last. And rather than just keep forecasting you know, increase sales, increase sales, increase sales. Maybe we, you know, dial it back a little bit. I think those companies will be in a decent space. But I mean, if you were a company that in Q4 last year said, you know what, we had a great 2021, we were up 35%. We're going to be up 35% again in 2022. I think that uh, you're going to be like when I was 25 years old, I think you're going to wake up with a hell of a hangover at the end of this year. Now, I kind of lied. Um, I, I, I kind of lied, Charlie. Uh, I, I have one last little thing. Uh, PCA, okay. real quick. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, you'll be there covering the show. Uh, what's your sort of thought on how this year's uh, PCA will go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's a similar story. I, I think that, um, look, the PCA has got a lot of issues. Uh, I don't know if anyone's documented them as extensively as Half Wheel has, um, but uh, certainly plenty of others have pointed out a number of issues. I, I think many of them are unresolved. One question that I have, and, and I think this will be something that should be asked, and certainly if we have a, a chance to do so with the PCA, is like, you know, they've listed out a whole bunch of things that they've identified as problems over the last couple of years, which is good that they've acknowledged that there are issues because that was a, that in and of itself was a problem uh, not too long ago. But I'm not sure that they've said what the solutions to them are, or what they've fixed. Um, and I think that is something that, that should be asked of them, and I'm curious to hear the responses. But I, I think to go back to the larger question, I, I think that the the inventory, supply chain, forecasting, you know, how do you come off of record sales in 2020 and 2021? And let's be honest, it, it wasn't, you know, maybe smaller, newer companies could claim that they had something to do with it. But most of it was inorganic, artificial sales. It was a unique time 
to be alive still is a unique time to be alive and people's behavior obviously completely changed during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, except in Florida, but, um, <laughs> you know, the PCA trade shows like last year, I, I made the argument going into the trade show and I know we're trying to wrap up that, uh, there was really no reason to be at the trade show, right? Like if you need help selling cigars in 2021, you, you shouldn't be selling cigars. Um, and now it's the, the roles have been flipped. Now I think there's going to be decline and companies are going to be, you know, wondering what they can do to soften the, the decline. They'll probably still be up compared to 19, but um, I think people's moods are going to shift a little bit. And I think the PCA unfortunately is going to get caught in some of that crossfire that, that you know, once again, completely artificial. Not like the PCA was responsible for the massive uptick in cigar sales in 2020 or 21. And it's not like the trade show had any bearing on how many cigars were sold last year. All right, folks. Now, I know uh, pretty much everybody who's watching is very familiar with Half Wheel. But, uh, Charlie, uh, if there are folks watching that uh, listen to this podcast um, later on down the line that aren't familiar with Half Wheel, uh, tell folks how they can uh, follow you guys. What what's coming up? Uh, got anything interesting? And 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 where do people uh, go to get the the information that you guys publish the content? Yeah, no, um, halfwill dot com is that's that's what our bread and butter. That's what we do. Um, but you can also find us on Instagram at halfwheel, uh, Twitter also at halfwheel, Facebook also at half wheel um i once did one of these with boveda and i was like you could go on pornhub and search half wheel god no please really for the for the love of god no yeah we had to redo that take they were like we can't publish this so uh i don't know what happens if you go on pornhub and type in half wheel but it's not us um in terms of things that are coming up uh we've got a whole bunch of accessory reviews that have been oh cool but uh hopefully for the next three or four Fridays in a row, you'll get to see some accessories, including some air purifiers that have been giving me a lot of trouble. We just, we just um, reviewed yeah. the, uh, the new, uh, a three, uh, just a couple weeks ago. How'd you guys like it? So it's a great unit. I mean, it's an absolutely great unit, but like, uh, I think Jordan did a really good job of describing where it works the best, um, in, in the best possible location, Jordan. Uh, yeah, not, not in a studio like this, but uh, you know, it's going to do a good job cleaning up overnight. And, uh, if, if you got one or two guys, it's going to do a great job. Yeah, so. and the, the smartphone yeah, no. app is a game changer. Like uh, controlling everything from your phone, it's super easy. Set schedules and all that. Yeah, cool. Super cool. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great little unit, and um, yeah, for the right the right room, small room, one person, two people, great. Maybe mm-hmm. not great idea for six people in a garage. But yes, absolutely. <laughs> Now, fantastic, Charlie. That was uh, a great show. We, we really appreciate you coming on. I've been wanting to do this interview for so long, and uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. I'm, I'm so thankful that there's somebody in the industry that, uh, that literally covers everything that there is to cover with the, uh, yeah, you, sometimes you're controversial, but that's p- sort of part of the fun of it. I, 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 that's why I clicked on, click on your guys' reviews, because I know I, who knows what I'm going to get, and uh, you're going to give us your honest opinion whether I agree with it or not. Yeah, I know. I mean, I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys in July and maybe in August, but probably, probably not. That's 
that's my nap time. <laughs> we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you out. Hey, don't go away, Charlie. I want There's to talk. nothing like Colorado in, uh, in oh, August. It's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's one of the best places in the world. Yeah, beautiful. Don't don't go that, away, Charlie. I want to talk to you. Rain for like 20 minutes and then yes, yeah, it might snow. It um, might snow and then uh, 20 minutes later you're boiling. Uh, don't go away. I want to yeah. talk to you for just like two yeah. minutes after the show, folks. Charlie Minato, half real, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, amazing show, guys. On Wednesday, Flavor Odyssey returns. Uh, we will be pairing the Agonorsa signature with uh, whatever we think is best. Uh, Randy will probably do a live on Monday uh, describing what he's going to pair with the Agonorsa signature. That's a great cigar. Um, and so we'll be doing that on Wednesday. Next Friday night was going to be Mickey Pegg, but right before the show, uh, Mickey said he has to reschedule. So we'll probably do something else a week from tonight. And then I think the next one after that is Matt Booth on the show a couple weeks from tonight. So we got some stuff coming up. It'll be fun. As far as tonight goes, it's Friday Night Herf. So get on the dojoverse.com, check into your favorite cigars. Tell us what you're drinking. Tell us what you're listening to. We'll have fun all night long. It's Friday Night Herf. We do this every single week. That's what makes the Dojoverse so fun. So until next week, remember, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next week. The Monte Cristo 1935 Nicaragua was one of the most highly rated cigars of the year. Expertly crafted by legendary blenders Rafael Nadal and AJ Fernandez, this cigar was blended to celebrate the 85th anniversary of the Monte Cristo line. It is hand-rolled using all-age Nicaraguan tobaccos exclusively from AJ's farm. This bold cigar is bursting with rich notes of chocolate, leather, a dash of spice, and a smooth, creamy finish. Enjoy one of the finest cigars of the year right now at jrcigars.com.